I'm very impressed to see you with the clocks changing. Easy to get confused. I got completely confused with my alarm. I thought I'd try and um, beat the technology because you never know, do you? Cause it's a digital alarm clock which is meant to change with the time but never does, or not until after you turn the radio on and a phone. And I normally don't have my phone, I normally can turn it off and have it downstairs. So I thought I'd put the phone into airplane mode and then set the alarm at old time but an hour earlier than normal in order to be the right time. But the phone still somehow knew it needed to change. Anyway, it's five o'clock I think when the alarm went off. I'm not quite sure which five o'clock it was. But it definitely said five o'clock somewhere. Anyway, so I'm really impressed that you're here, despite those uh, logistical challenges of the clocks changing. Today, of course, wonderfully, is Easter Sunday, and this is a day when we particularly focus and think about the actions of Jesus Christ. But, of course, the actions of Jesus flowed from his thoughts. We think about, this time of year, we think about what Jesus did. We think about uh, the Thursday, we think about Jesus gathering his disciples in the upper room and talking with them, instructing them and encouraging them and warning them about things that were going to happen and how things were going to shape out. And we think about the uh, realities of the trial and the horrors of that and the injustice of that and the realities of the actions of Christ as he stood uh, silently like a lamb before Pilate and didn't defend himself. We think about the scourging and the thorns and we think about the crucifixion itself and Jesus carrying the cross and stumbling under its weight and Simon of Cyrene having to bear it for him. We think about the events of the crucifixion as Jesus was nailed to that cross and as he spoke to the thieves hung over either side of him. And we think about, of course, the action of this day, of Easter Sunday, most wonderfully. We think about the stone rolled away and the uh, grave empty. We think about the angel appearing to the disciples, confused, what's going on? We think about Jesus appearing to Mary and saying, Jesus, it's me. And Mary, it's me, Jesus. And so we think about those actions of Christ. But, of course, those actions of Jesus followed on the thoughts of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 3. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Uh, Christ's thoughts were oriented in a particular direction. It was for the joy, for the happiness that was before him that he endured, went through all the events of Easter. We think about the actions of Easter, but Christ's thoughts were oriented towards the happiness that was going to be his because of Easter. Once past the trial and the crucifixion and once the grave was bust open and he was raised to glorious life it was for joy it's for happiness that's where Jesus thoughts were directed we often think about the the the, the sorrow of Christ the grief of Christ at this time of year on at our service here on Friday we read from Isaiah 53 which talks about Jesus to, uh, 700 years before the events of Calvary looks ahead to that date prophesies about what's going to happen to the Savior talks about one who it's familiar with suffering, acquainted with grief. We think about the sorrow of, of Jesus, but it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The, the, the grief, the sorrow was, was temporary, it was momentary, it was passing, and it was for joy that Jesus endured the cross. That's where his thoughts were going. That's where Jesus' thoughts were directed. And if we're going to get happy, we need to have our thoughts right. We need to have our thoughts oriented in the right direction as well. And of course, the question for us then is, well, how do we do that? And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, gives some advice about how to have our thoughts oriented towards happiness. So why don't you turn there? 
Philippians chapter 4 on page 692. I'm going to read verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How can we get our thoughts happy? Joyful thinking is the theme, the title of today. How can we have joyful thoughts? The first thing to do is to focus on the Lord, to focus on the Lord. Now, probably verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4 is the most famous verse in this letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Uh, famous um, kind of summary of what this letter is all about. Rejoice. And what we see here is this um, expectation in Paul, from Paul, that we can make a choice for joy. We can make a choice for happiness. And normally we think of, of joy of happiness as being an emotion. We tend to think that we need to experience the emotion first, and then maybe our thoughts will follow on afterwards. And what Paul presents here is something rather different, that you make the choice first, and then uh, your, your thoughts follow on after that. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, your, your emotions follow on after your thoughts. It's a bit, it's a bit like um, how we tend to think about love, that... Um, the way we think about these things is very culturally defined. And in our culture, we think about love as being something which is a romantic feeling. And if you feel romantically, then your then you're kind of uh, thoughts and your choices follow on from that. In many cultures, uh, love is a, is a choice. It's a, it's a decision you make, and then you expect your feelings to follow on after the choice that you've made. And actually, in many ways, that's a, a much more sensible way to approach love. One of the disastrous things for marriage in our society is that we've made love so much, a marriage so much about romantic love that if you no longer feel romantic love, then you don't feel any sense of need to stay with the person you're married to because it's about how I feel. And actually, it's much more should be much more about what you choose. It's why we say in the wedding vows, "I will," rather than. Rather than this is how I feel now, I will love you, not I love you now. That you love somebody now is great as you get married, that's important. But actually what counts is that you make a choice day by day. I will love you day by day. And so you can make a choice for love. You can also make a choice for joy, a choice for happiness. And so Paul says, choose it. Choose joy. Choose happiness. But this isn't just a kind of... Um, feel-good psychology that Paul is trying to promote here. It's, it's rooted in something really solid. And, and see what he says to rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jesus. Paul roots joy-finding in Jesus. That joy as a choice is a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, focusing on what the Lord has done, thinking about Easter. Thinking about the truth of God come to earth, living as a 
man amongst us, knowing what it is to taste human experience, human life, knowing what it is to know hardship and difficulty, a hard day's work, knowing what it is to experience hunger and illness. Jesus, who walked the streets of Palestine and preached about his Father in heaven and the kingdom of God breaking in, Jesus, who was rejected, betrayed, let down, Jesus, who was uh, persecuted, Jesus who was crucified, Jesus who carried the weight of the world's sin on his own shoulders, dealt with our sin, dealt with our shame, dealt with our guilt, has opened up the way to heaven for us. That He was the one by whom the kingdom of God was breaking. And he was the one in whom there's this promise of all things being made new. He's the one in his resurrection. We see not just him coming back to life, but we see the promise of all things being made new, of resurrection life coming to the whole cosmos, of everything that is wrong being turned around and becoming right, everything that is sad being turned around and becoming happy, every tear being wiped away, every broken and corrupt and ugly thing being replaced and renewed by something beautiful and glorious. Think about Jesus. Paul says, think about Easter and choose joy, choose happiness. Recognize what is beautiful and what is valuable and what is praiseworthy. Look at Jesus and see the one who is praiseworthy and beautiful and precious beyond all compare. The one who is the great treasure, the pearl of great price. Think about him and you can choose joy. Even when you're chained to a Roman soldier in prison, as Paul is as he writes this, You can choose joy. You can rejoice in the Lord because of who he is and what he has done. And and this choice, this choice of joy, is a decision that we have to make because we get so easily distracted. Because there's so much going on in life the whole time that we can easily lose our focus on the Lord. We forget to rejoice in the Lord because there's so much else swirling around us. I find this all the time. find it... Sometimes, especially when I'm preparing talks for Sunday mornings, I'm trying to prepare a talk about rejoicing the Lord, and I'm aware of so much else going on in life, being bombarded by all kinds of things, so easily distracted by everything else, and you can forget to rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, focus on the Lord, rejoice in Him, make the choice. And when we focus on the Lord, when we think about Him and who He is and what He's done, that produces, it generates thankfulness in us. If we think about the events of Easter, if we think about how God has, through his son Jesus Christ, opened up the way to himself, reconciled us to himself, if we think about the promise of resurrection life, if we think about the hope of all things being made new and perfect and good again, that must lead to praise. It has to lead to thanks, and thanks generates joy. And there's no real joy without gratitude. The psalmist says this, Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. There's a kind of a process here. You come into God's presence. You give him thanks. And then you start to feel happy. The, the joy follows the thankfulness. Thankfulness generates joy. Look to God and gratitude naturally flows into us. And joy follows If you wait just for joy to hit you, often you can wait a very long time. It might never come. But if you choose to think in the Lord, rejoice in Him, start to praise Him, thank Him, then joy follows. It has to. Philosopher Roger Scruton says, Only those who give thanks are able to rejoice, for only they are conscious that life, freedom, and well-being are not rights but gifts. A gift is a reminder that others care for us. A gift is a reminder that others care for us. When we think about God's gift to us in Jesus Christ, 
we are reminded that Jesus cares for us. God cares for us. Easter proves it, and that has to lead to thankfulness, and thankfulness leads to joy. God cares for us. Easter proves it. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, that's why this is such a happy time. We're proved, we've been proved. Again, we think about the proof that God cares about us. God cares about us. It's proved by Easter, the gift of God. For those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, don't know him, there's this wonderful truth for you today. God cares about you. How do you know? Think about Easter. Think about the fact that Jesus came. He died in your place. He carried your sin. He's dealt with the stuff that was keeping you from God. The way is now wide open for you to come into friendship, relationship with God, to know the peace and the joy and the love of that. God cares about you. It's a message of Easter. It's a focus on the Lord. That's the first way to get our thinking joyful. second thing that we need to do is, is pray about everything. To pray about everything. Prayer is the way in which we engage with God, that we commune with him. We talk with him and he speaks with us. And it's also the way that we handle life. And we deal with life in all its complexities and its ups and its downs. Look again at verse um, 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, or your reasonableness, your gentleness. What Paul is, is saying, let he, Philippians and to us here today, let, let your, the way you conduct yourselves be evidence that God is at work in you. In, in the previous verses, we looked at these last week, uh, Paul deals with an issue in the church where there are two women in the church who are in conflict, and he encourages them to be more like Christ. And for us, all of us, he's saying, look, be, let, your let your gentleness, let your Christ-likeness be known to everyone. Even if you're facing difficulty, you're facing conflict, let your, let your Christ-likeness, your gentleness be shown to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near. He's with us. Jesus is with us. He's here this morning. He's here now. By his Holy Spirit, he's present amongst us. It's not just you sitting in rows in these seats. Jesus is walking up and down amongst us by his presence, by the Holy Spirit. As we take bread and wine a little bit later, Jesus is with us. He ministers to us. He's close. He's near. He's at hand. It's also the sense of Jesus being at hand in terms of our anticipation of his return, that Jesus is returning. He's coming back. He's reigning in glory now, but he's returning for his people. He's returning to complete the work.